We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Oregon fans, what's going on? How is everybody doing? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. It is Monday, November 14th. In case you are new here, I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and media editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks on Fan Nation, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. And boy, do we have a lot to discuss today as we're going to be breaking down Oregon's 37-34 loss to the Washington Huskies on Saturday in Eugene. Uh, I am back in Long Beach. I was actually in Eugene for this game. And uh, I actually got to see uh, quite a few fans. Uh, some of you guys said what's up to me while I was walking around Autzen. So uh, that was that was definitely a treat. Shout out to, to all of those people that uh, said hello. Um, but yeah, we have a lot to get into in this game. Uh, and let me pull up the stats on my screen so that I can reference those as we're going throughout the show here today. Uh, In case you guys are listening to us on the podcasting platforms, reminder that you can catch all of almost all of our shows, I think all of them pretty much, on youtube.com slash Oregon Football Max Taurus. Make sure to hit that like and subscribe button and uh, hop in the live chat. If you guys are live, let me know what you think about Oregon's loss on Saturday and kind of where this team is at right now. And uh, maybe I'll see if I can get to a question or two during the show. But with all that being said, let's kind of hop into this game and, and talk about what went wrong for the Ducks and talk a little about some, some of the standouts in this game. I think one of the things that was a little surprising in this game is that Oregon got off to a slow start, right? Trailed 7-3 to three at the end of the first quarter. Offense took a little while to, to get settled in. And I think really one of the biggest things that I tried to be vocal about before this game was I thought Oregon had the chance to run away with this game. They absolutely had the chance to run away with this game heading into it. But what was the one caveat with all of that? It was the defense. Oregon and Washington both don't have good defenses. So if Oregon's defense was able to start fast and get some big stops, there were no punts in this game from uh, from either team. Actually, I'm sorry, there was one from Washington uh, in this game. but Stops were hard to come by, and Oregon did not play the game that they needed to on the defensive side of the ball in order to come away with a win. Um, That's definitely one of the biggest uh, things that kind of went wrong was just the play of the defense, which we're going to be talking about uh, in this episode. 
Um, but it was it was tough. This is you can you had a sense that this game was to become a shootout early on in the second half, right? Uh, it was a close game uh, going into the half. Uh, it was thirteen. It was thirteen to ten. Washington had the lead, and then Oregon outscored UW twenty-one to fourteen in the third quarter, and then UW outscored Oregon ten to three in the final frame. That's how you get do the math. That's how you get to thirty-seven to thirty-four. But it really felt like early on in that second half, it's like okay, we got a shootout on our hands, and whoever gets a stop is going to win this game. That's really kind of how it felt. And Oregon ran the ball well. Oregon passed the ball pretty well. And they just kind of crumbled when uh, when it really mattered the most there at the end. I'm going to get into some of my thoughts on the 10-minute the drive that came away with just three points, some of the, the miscues that, that we saw for the Ducks on Saturday. But, um, yeah, just kind of looking at some of the, the overarching teams here, I thought that the offense played really well. Um, another showing of, of uh, over 500 yards of offense. I think the two teams combined for over 1,000 yards of offense, which just goes to show you how there was very little defense that was played in this game on Saturday. Starting with Bo Nix, 19 for 28 with 280 yards through the air and two passing touchdowns. And then on the ground for Oregon, you had Bucky Irving and Noah Whittington both registering 20 carries. Bucky Irving, by the way, with 146 yards on the ground, averaged 7.3 yards per carry. Bill Whittington, 106, 108 yards, excuse me, averaged 5.4 yards a carry. And if you want to know how dominant Oregon was running the ball in this game, 312 yards on the ground. That's how dominant they were. I remember it got to a point in this game against Washington when, and I think it was during that, that, uh, 10-minute drive that Oregon fans were either they were alternating between chanting Bucky Irving's name, they were chanting Bucky, or they were chanting Noah because it got to the point in this game where Oregon was so dominant running the ball that everybody knew what was happening. It's like what Dan Lenning talked about in that I think it was that BYU game I want to say or maybe it was the UCLA game. It was one of those two bigger games earlier on in the season and the game had developed to the point where it became we're running the ball, and you know we're running the ball. You guys can't stop us. So that's really kind of how I would summarize how dominant they were running the ball in this game. Uh, it, it, everyone knew that they were running the ball 51 plays to just 28 passing plays for the Ducks on this game. So definitely not a balanced attack. It was a run first. It was a battle of a run first offense against a pass first offense. And Oregon's passing defense got absolutely shredded. And that's one of the biggest reasons they lost this game. Um, but I'm talking about the offense first, and then we'll get on to some more, some other topics. So both Knicks had a pretty solid game, you know, took care of the ball, except for that one fumble, which was one of the crucial mistakes that uh, really came back to bite them in this game. I mean, I don't, I don't really know if you can put that on on Bo or, or Force Knights, because it's just a, a tough exchange, you know, crazy how that was the first time Oregon fumbled all year. They were the only team in college football that had not lost a fumble, I think is the stat that I saw after that game. And you lose your first fumble of the year in an absolutely crucial moment, again, inside the red zone. We've seen some red zone miscues for this Oregon offense kind of on and off throughout the year. And that was an early fumble. And in a game of this magnitude with as much on the line as they had, obviously the playoffs were still in the picture. That's out the window now. You have to convert on those opportunities. 
it's like the same exact thing on defense. When you get a team to a third down, you have to get off the field. And when the offense gets inside the red zone, you have to come away with points. You cannot come away empty. So that was a crucial miscue, the, the biggest one really for Bo or, or Forsyth. They both got banged up late in this game, and we're going to talk about some of the injuries. But some of the other big performers, we have to talk about Troy Franklin and, and Dante Thornton. Troy Franklin was added to the Belitnikov Award watch list uh, on Monday as I uh, as I record this. So that's kind of some of the fresher news. He's been the best wide receiver on this Oregon team. He's been one of the better receivers in the Pac-12, and now he is gaining national attention as one of the best wide receivers in the entire country. Semifinalists are going to be voted on over the weekend, and then and then uh, those are going to be announced a week from today. So Troy Franklin just continued to do Troy Franklin things. Caught five of seven targets for a career high 139 yards, 42 yards after the catch with a long of 67 on a huge touchdown pass from Bo Nix, and then Dante Thornton. He only had one catch in this game on two targets, but that was 46 yards and it was a touchdown. So. I thought that was one of the really encouraging signs for Oregon from this game. This, the second straight game that they didn't have Chase Coda, that was one of the big headlines that we were monitoring going into this game. What's the health of the wide receiver position? How are things looking there from a, a depth perspective? Chase Coda wasn't able to go. Big game for the Ducks. Dante Thornton steps up and comes away with a crucial touchdown. Uh, I think that was the first passing touchdown of the day for Bo, uh, if, I, if memory served. So, Really cool to see him get involved. I want to see more of Dante Thornton. He also did a really good job blocking uh, in this game, and he's definitely due some praise for that. But those are some of the top performers in the receiving game. Chris Hudson caught all seven of his targets for 56 yards. So not quite as many highlights necessarily, but I think Chris Hudson has, has really elevated his play since coming on strong at the end of last season when the Ducks had some depth concerns. with They were missing Jalen Red. They were missing Giant Johnson. Uh, Micah Pittman had, had uh, entered the transfer portal at that point. So Chris Hudson continues to carve out a really good role. And Chris Hudson, I, I want to say that he uh, he definitely had some really solid returns, three kickoff returns in this game for 85 total yards with a long of 33. Uh, so I thought that was one of the, the positives to take away from this game was the, uh, the kickoff return. It seemed like they were a little bit more effective uh, in this contest for, for Oregon. And, and we know how important special teams are. Uh, and we're going to talk about some of that when we talk about what went wrong. But those were some of the top offensive standouts. I mean, Noah and Bucky are – I think even though Oregon lost this game and, and Noah slipped on a crucial play, I feel like there's not – I don't think anyone can say that Oregon doesn't have the best running back tandem in the Pac-12. Zach Charbonnet is a beast, uh, but he's kind of the, the main weapon there on the ground along with Dorian Thompson-Robinson. But in terms of, like, you know, two-headed monster, backfield by committee, Oregon's got the best in the conference. Austin Jones is really solid at USC. We saw Travis Dye go down with a season-ending injury. You hate to see that. That's tough uh, for the for the former Duck there in, in Los Angeles now with Lincoln Riley. But both Irvin and Noah Whittington are so fun to watch. Great vision, super explosive, tough runners. You know what you're going to get with them. Kind of surprising that we didn't see any of Jordan James in this game. But uh, the way that Bucky and Noah were running the ball, I don't think they really needed it. Uh, we didn't see any involvement really by the tight ends in this one. We only saw Terrence Ferguson catch one pass. He was the only tight end to register a catch in this game, one catch for uh, four yards. So uh, not a whole lot of involvement. It seemed now that we're looking at the stats, it seemed like a little bit one-dimensional, but at the same time, they were able to really move the ball effectively. Um, 
and let's look at some other some other numbers here. 280 passing yards. Average yard per completion is 14.7 for Oregon. So they're definitely doing a good job pushing the ball down the field. 10 yards per attempt. Um, and uh, average 7.5 yards per play. But Washington was averaging 9.2 yards per play. So they were just ripping through uh, that Oregon defense. And I think that's really where we can start talking about kind of some of the things that went wrong for Oregon. So we talked about some of the miscues and crucial moments. I have a recent story that I wrote uh, late last night up on Ducks Digest right now. What went wrong in Oregon's loss to Washington? Oh, it's fumble. Uh, in the early in the first half, that was uh, one that I talked about earlier. Noah Whittington's slip on fourth down was absolutely crucial, um, seeing how the Ducks were really in crunch time at that point. But I want to talk a little bit about what led up to that drive. So it was a tie ball game. The Ducks got the ball back at their own 25 with three minutes on the clock, and they needed to at least get into field goal range for Camden Lewis. Call that about 40 43 yards, maybe 42 to 43 yards. With that limited amount of time, most teams are going to need to pass the ball to move it from your own 25 into field goal range. And at this point, Bo Nix was hurt and Ty Thompson was coming into the game. But the play calling just really baffled me on that drive when that, that ended with Noah Whittington slipping on fourth down because Kenny Dillingham called four straight run plays that netted eight yards. And I think one of the, um, one of the, there was a picture in this game uh, that is making some rounds on social media that I think kind of illustrates my point. So let me, let me see if I can find it here. Um, give me just a second here. Okay, hold on. Share screen. So I want to look at look at all. This is the fourth down play. A minute and thirty two left. They're in there. They've hardly moved the ball at all. They're at their own thirty four. It looks like fourth and one. Look at all the space that Troy Franklin has. the The way that Washington stacked the box here, and the way that they set up their defense, they knew that. Both that Ty Thompson wasn't going to pass the ball, and I think that that's why it's so it was so frustrating to watch this one unfold how it did because Washington with the, all the space out here they're obviously favoring the run. They know that Oregon doesn't really feel comfortable. I think with with Ty Thompson passing, but the reason that I think this was tough to see is because. At this point, it's crunch time, and I think you got to at least give your quarterback a chance to move the ball. Granted, and I said this in the story, Ty Thompson has not seen a ton of action this year, but when he has come in, it's typically been handoffs or when he does pass, the offense kind of sputters. So I just feel like Oregon was so one-dimensional that they needed to at least try to draw up a, a quick pass for Ty or something to just give Washington a different look. But the way they came out, obviously, you can see in the formation here that Washington was ready for the run, and uh, Oregon isn't able to convert. Washington goes down and kicks the game-winning field goal, and then Bo Nix comes back in the game, and um, and they're able—they're not able to really move the ball. And, and his, his final pass to Troy Franklin 
comes up short. So that was a, a really crucial miscue for the Ducks in this game, and, and it was kind of hard to watch that one unfold the way that it did. Um, so we talked about Noah's, uh, Noah Whittington slipping there, and the other miscue I wanted to talk about was that 20-play, 10-minute drive that netted three points. Um, I was absolutely shocked to see Oregon just dominate running the ball, and then you get to third down, and you call the QB draw. That was a play that you go five wide, empty backfield. Bo Nix had scored on that play, and I think it's hurt. Bo Nix uh, runs a QB keeper, and and I think that that will at that point in the game it became a predictable play for the Washington defense. So Bo Bo keeps it on the QB keeper, and he gets hurt. It's knocked out of the game. And it becomes fourth and two, and then the Ducks were forced to settle for a field goal. And what happened when you settled for a field goal? When you settled for that field goal, you went up by seven points, and you left the door open for Washington to come back, which in this game was something they couldn't afford to do. You cannot put together a 20-play, 10-plus-minute drive and have it end in three points. You don't need me to tell you that, but I'm just driving home how crucial and detrimental that drive was for Oregon to come away with three points there and only go up seven. Your defense had only gotten one stop pretty much all day. Um, and by going, by getting only three points, it almost felt like they nullified that stop because it felt like the first team that got a stop after that, you score a touchdown and then you slam the door closed on that play. And you slam the door closed on the game if you're able to get a stop and get a touchdown because neither defense have been able to stop each other the whole game. So you can't come away with three points on that drive. Um, I think that the play calling was, was definitely tough there uh, seeing that Bo got hurt and then Ty came in and Bo came back in. And at that point it, it was really looking bleak for Oregon. Another thing that went wrong in this game, how about the soft coverage from the defensive backs? I think that's something that we have to talk about. I was rewatching the highlights and I, I don't know if it was just me that was seeing this, but it felt like Christian Gonzalez was the only defensive back that was lining up less than five yards away from his wide receiver or from his defensive assignment. And he was the only one that was kind of jamming and playing some physical football out there. So I, I thought that I just want to see some more jamming, some more physicality from, from the secondary because they, they were giving Washington's wide receivers, which are potentially the best wide receivers in the Pac-12, a lot of room. And what did that room do? It created a lot of natural space for these wide receivers to just find pockets in the zone and just sit there. And then Michael Penix just distributed the ball and um, they had some space to make plays. So the soft coverage, I think, has been something that a lot of Oregon fans have been very skeptical about for the whole season. And these are some talented defensive backs. They just haven't really been able to put it together uh, in this game. Christian Gonzalez is the, it seems like the only reliable defensive back that you have right now. Um, in that secondary, the Ducks were without Jamal Hill for the first half, and, and that was definitely uh, apparent in this game. So the soft coverage against the best, one of the best passing offenses in the country was definitely something that went wrong for the Ducks in this loss to the Huskies. And almost in a perfect relationship, uh, you know, going going with each other was the pass rush. Uh, it feels like we talk about it every week, but uh, another week and no sacks for the Ducks in this game against Washington. Some credit is obviously due to the Washington offensive line. You have to pick your caps to them at, at some point, but 
Michael Penix had most, and most of the game, Michael Penix had all day to throw. And when you give Michael Penix some time to throw, he's going to sit back in the pocket. He's going to pick you apart. He's going to find an open man, and he had no problem. And I think Oregon stopped the run in this game, right? Washington only ran the ball 22 times and had 116 rushing yards. So Oregon did a pretty good job stopping the run in this game. But Caleb DeBoer kind of looked at how this game was shaking out, and he said, all right, Michael Penix, go ahead, throw the ball 30-plus times, 35 times. Um, and Oregon's pass rush gave him the time to distribute. I think that with the way this game was coming you know, coming together, it, the, Washington's an air raid team, and the lack of a pass rush just made it easy for Michael Penix to do what he did. Uh, Taki Taimani was back in this game. He had previously been injured. Uh, I think that that is um, obviously a, a plus here, but I think there was only one or two quarterback hurries in the entire game generated by this Oregon defense, and one of them was on the third down, and then Michael Penix scrambles for a first down. So Oregon's defense was three for nine, sorry, five for nine in terms of holding uh, Washington on third down conversion. So Washington was able to convert five of nine third downs. It's when you need to take those opportunities to get off the field. So the passers has been an issue all year, and it was an issue again against Washington, and that was part of the reason that they lost. And then the last thing I want to talk about in terms of what went wrong, I'm seeing some people talking here in the comments, so I'll check those out in a second. Injuries. And this is something that Oregon couldn't really prevent, but the injuries were absolutely a pivotal turning point in this game. Ryan Walk went out early in the first half, and uh, we later saw him with a boot on his right foot later in the game. He would not return in the game, but fortunately for Oregon, this was an injury that they were more – they were ready to handle. They were ready to handle Ryan Walk's injury because you have Jackson Powers Johnson, an underclassman who's played a lot of football this year and played a really good – he's played some damn good football for Oregon this year. He's alternated between the guard spot. He's played the center. He might have even gotten out to tackle a little bit. I want to say I remember hearing. But that that injury was one that you didn't want to see. But Jackson Powers Johnson has played a lot of football this year, so they were ready to have him slide in. And then – Alex Forsyth also got hurt later in the game. And when Alex Forsyth first got hurt, I didn't know if it was one of those situations when, not to say that he was faking it, but I think we probably can agree that we saw a couple Oregon players go down and try to buy some time for the Ducks in this game. But Forsyth didn't come back in, and then Jackson Powers Johnson had to kick it into center, so you have to give him some props for the game that he played. Uh, and then I think you saw Faupe Laulaulu come in at, at right guard to uh, to take over where Jackson Powers Johnson was playing. But we all know that the most crucial injury in this game was when Bo Nix got hurt late in the game. Uh, Oregon's offense is just completely different when Bo Nix is not in that game. Um, not really much of a threat at all in, in the passing attack with, with Ty Thompson in this game. Um, you know, maybe that's super critical, but that's just kind of calling it how I see it. They're just we haven't really seen when, when Ty comes in this, into the games this year, we haven't seen the uh, Oregon offense be very effective or, or move very efficiently. So that kind of goes back to an earlier point that I had about Washington knowing that they could just sell out against the run because there was no threat of a uh, pass uh, when, when Ty Thompson was in there in the, the big, big stage, big lights. Um, so that kind of continues to be a point throughout the year that we've been talking to, talking about. 
Um, but Bodenix, by the time he was able to come back in the game, it, it felt like it was too little too late for the Ducks. So the injuries are obviously going to play a pivotal role there. And, um, you know, Ducks just got hit with the injury bug at the worst possible time. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break for those of you listening to us on the podcasting platform. Don't go anywhere. We got more Oregon football talk breaking down the Washington game after this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Duck Stage Podcast. I'm your I'm your host. I almost said head coach. I'm your host, Max Torres. We are breaking down Oregon's heartbreaking 37 to 34 loss to the Washington Huskies at home in Austin Stadium. Uh, first first loss in 24 games, 23 games at home for the Ducks. Um, that might just be pouring salt in the wound, but it was another headline that came out of this game. We're getting some. Uh, I think we saw some comments about recruiting impact. Uh, in this game, uh, in terms of what kind of what kind of impact this loss would have for for Oregon on the recruiting trail, um, let me just see what I had to say here. Maybe I can put one of these comments up. Um, okay, let's see what we got here. Um, let's see. Dang, I don't know which comment I want to do. You guys got a lot of stuff here, but I'll just put one up. Brooks, he's a frequent listener. Brooks says, well, hope these recruits see how many built those teams at Georgia. None of these guys we have now are Dan guys. We need Mateo and so on. So, yeah, I think we could talk about the – let's talk a little bit about the uh, – how Oregon's loss to recruiting fallout. I'm typing this as I go. Oregon's loss to Washington. All right, here we go. All right. How will Oregon's loss to Washington affect things on the recruiting trail? But the short answer, I don't think it's going to affect things that much. Uh, obviously, does it help recruiting? 
Absolutely not. You never want to lose on the big stage with a lot of big recruits in town. You had five-star David Hicks in attendance. You had five-star Iowa offensive line commit. Gabe Proctor in attendance. If anything, on the defensive side of the ball, obviously was not a good game for Oregon's defense. That's just the way it, that's just the way it was. But in a weird way, I think Oregon's defense playing like it did drives home the point perhaps for a lot of these top tier defensive recruits that are in town, like David Hicks, like LSU cornerback commit Dalen Austin. It shows look at how badly this defense needs you. We need game changers on the defensive line. We need game changers in the secondary that can lock people up. So I think that's maybe one way that you can kind of take away today's, uh, this weekend's performance rather for Oregon is, is that it wasn't a good showing by the defense, but a lot of these guys, they, they, you know, they're talking in these interviews. They're telling me, I, I want to go somewhere where I'm needed, not wanted necessarily. And right now, Oregon needs elite defensive talent. And I think you also obviously have to look at adding playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. Um, we still don't know if uh, Bo Nix is going to be back next year. So right now they have Dante Moore in the fold. Uh, I had a recent story over on Ducks Digest about what to make of the Dante Moore and Michigan State rumors that came out about a week or so ago. But I know that Oregon feels really confident about where things are at with Dante, uh, Dante Moore. And um, I think that it's looking like right now that that commitment is going to stick. But if Bo Nix leaves after this year, I don't know that Oregon doesn't go into the transfer portal and get another quarterback because you're in the same position. I think that was one of the big takeaways from this game. It showed why Oregon brought Bo Nix in is because none of the quarterbacks not named Bo Nix no quarterback on this roster other than Bo Nix has played any football at the college level. So I think it'd be great if Dante Moore could start as a true freshman, but you don't want to have to head into the 2023 season relying on a five-star freshman to lead your offense. Um, I know it's a it's a pickle because Oregon's been, it feels like, in this constant cycle of getting transfer portal quarterbacks, but if Bo next leaves, don't be surprised if Oregon goes into the transfer portal to find another quarterback. I, I just would be surprised if that's not the case. So any more recruiting, you know, kind of recruiting impact for, for Oregon here? What, how do I think that this loss might shake things up? I already talked about how they didn't play well on defense, so that kind of shows that they really have glaring needs on the defensive side of the ball. I don't know if – I wonder – I'm going to be very curious to see who leaves from this defense uh, after this season because Christian Gonzalez has been the most consistent guy on this defense. I think mean, Noah Sewell has been playing some good football this year, but – Still need to get better in coverage. I'm not sure how much. I'm not sure how much his coverage is going to improve between now and the end of the season, and if some of his NFL feedback is going to. I feel like he's probably going to be gone. I mean, I'm not. I'm not necessarily thinking that he's going to come back next year. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm just wondering because this defense has not played that well. Who who's going to come back? You know, Brandon Dorlis is probably going to be gone. DJ Johnson might be gone. This is just all speculating, but we can save that, you know, for some, for some more chatter after the, the season is over or once, you know, we get into bowl season. But overall, I think that Oregon did a good job in terms of bringing in this elite collection of talent. Uh, they also brought in Damian Sanford, who's a 2023 four-star linebacker committed to Texas A&M, high school teammates with David Hicks at uh, Pitytow High School out in Katy. So I think that 
the, the recruiting impact, the recruiting fallout from Oregon's loss to Washington is, is obviously not positive. Um, hard to kind of get a read on, on where they feel they are with some of these guys that they're still chasing in the 2023 class. You had a lot of commits that were in town. You had Dante Dowdell, the running back commit out of Mississippi. You had Amari Washington, Michael Gardner. Phil Martin was in town as well. So a lot of big names on campus. I think there's still some buzz around this team. And I think I saw a comment earlier in the, the show that was talking about how uh, this staff doesn't necessarily have all of their guys because of when they came in. So once they get some of those 23 guys in, I think we're going to see uh, playing time being, uh, being kind of up for grabs at some positions because they have some serious dudes in that 23 class that are going to make an impact. Let's talk about what's next for Oregon. Now Oregon has dropped their first Pac-12 game of the year uh, to Washington. It was a ranked loss, so at least it doesn't look too terrible. But if you were if you were there in Austin Stadium in Eugene on Saturday, you saw how Oregon fell apart uh, in the final moments, the final minutes of that game. So really what it comes down to, the college football playoff is out the window now for Oregon. Um, you know, not, not looking like they'll be able to get in as a two-loss team from the Pac-12, even though one of their other losses was to Georgia, the defending national champions. But now the attention goes to the Pac-12 title game. And you basically get in and beat Utah and you beat Oregon State. But those are two games that are not going to be easy for the Ducks as they look to turn the page here after the Washington loss. Um, Utah is playing some good football. They destroyed Stanford over the weekend. I know Cam Rising looks like he's back and healthy. We're going to have to see how healthy the youths are heading into this game. I think that's definitely a storyline to monitor here. But now for Oregon, I don't I don't think that all hope is lost on the 2022 season. The fact that you were clearly in the mix of the playoffs in the first year of the Dan Lanning era, I think, is awesome. Uh, and let's be honest, I think if Oregon went to the playoffs, I just don't see them being super competitive. Not Not with this defense. I don't know. I don't know how you can say that Oregon is going to be able to slow down or be competitive with any of these teams that are in the playoff conversation unless they get into a shootout. And when you get into a shootout, you have a super limited margin for error. And their defense has, has not been one that's been able to be difference makers and game changers. And, and really, you know, it, that defense was huge in the Washington State game when Mace Funa had that pick six. Uh, you definitely have to give him some credit for that, but maybe maybe it's a, a blessing in disguise of sorts that Oregon isn't able to go to the playoffs, which sounds really weird to say, but I just feel like you want to go to the playoffs, you want to return to the playoffs, but I think that winning the Pac-12 title and going to the Rose Bowl is still a heck of a first year for Dan Lanning in the Pac-12, um, but it's not a done deal. You've got to be, or you got to be Utah, and you got to be Oregon State. So it's, it's still a rough stretch to end the season, but let's talk a little bit about the Pac-12 picture and kind of what things are still looking like. For USC, they're obviously one of the top teams in the Pac-12. If they beat UCLA this weekend, then they punch their ticket to the Pac-12 title game because their last game of the season, the regular season, is against um, is against Notre Dame. So if UCLA loses to USC, USC punches their ticket with uh, the Pac-12 title game. Um UCLA, they're eliminated with one more loss. They have USC and Cal still on the schedule. So, obviously, the USC game is, is much more threatening uh, in that regard. But let's talk about Utah. Utah is eliminated if they lose to Oregon. Um, 
And even if they beat Colorado, so they have Oregon and Colorado still on the schedule. Um, but if Utah loses to Oregon, what do I have here in my notes? Utah eliminated if they lose to Oregon and beat Colorado, but Oregon loses to Oregon State, then Oregon would have the tiebreaker. So basically, Utah has to take care of business. And uh, I think they need to, because they only have one Pac 12 loss right now, right? I'm going to look at the schedule here. Give me just a second. Okay. Utah's only loss in Pac 12 play was to UCLA. Okay. So we kind of broke down some of the situations here, but for Oregon and their perspective, they just have to win. They have to take care of business um, to get back to the Pac-12 title game. Uh, I think that you, if you're an Oregon fan, you probably have more confidence going into this Pac-12 title game, assuming that they're able to make it compared to last year. But this is a game that I had circled on Oregon's schedule. I was doing a radio hit last week. And I was asked about Utah or Washington game, which one's more dangerous. And I thought it was the Utah game. Obviously, they ended up losing to Washington. So maybe you got to reevaluate things a little bit. But I think I'm, I'm, still, I'm still very interested to see what happens with Oregon in this game against Utah because they haven't been able to beat Utah in a while. Utah definitely had their number. They're a physical team. They're a great defense. Their offense has a lot of weapons on it. Cameron Rising is one of the best quarterbacks in the Pac-12. He's a serious gamer. He can hurt you with his legs as well as with his arm. So I think for Oregon, sites are set on the Pac-12 title game, and you're hoping that you can get to the Rose Bowl. Uh, I think that would still be a great first season for Dan Lanning. I've talked about this a lot throughout the year, you know, the timing of Dan Lanning's hiring versus the championship window for Oregon. They're not going to be able to get that first championship this year, that first national championship with the way that things have gone and, and shaken out. But if you can get to the Pac-12 title game and if you can win the Pac-12 title, that is a huge win. And you can also use the Rose Bowl. You go to the Rose Bowl and win that game. That's something to, to you know, help you with the, with the recruits. And uh, they still have a tremendous opportunity to close very, very strong in the 2023 recruiting class as we're just about a month away from the early signing period for Oregon. And uh, I think there's also some big 2024 names that they are – looking into on the recruiting trail um but you know now you gotta you gotta you gotta you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps and and then look ahead to that next game against utah Dan is going to be meeting with reporters monday night for his uh weekly press conference as the Ducks both to turn the page from the huskies onto utah look to get back in the win column as they now sit at eight and two uh, six and one in the Pac-12, but they still have control over their shot at getting back to the Pac-12 title game. But that margin for error is very, very slim. You gotta win, you gotta win out so that you can get into the conference title game. But that is gonna do it for us on this episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. If you guys are here on the live stream, do me a quick favor: smash the like button, smash the subscribe button, and hit that notification bell so you don't miss out on future live streams here. YouTube.com slash Oregon football is YouTube.com slash Oregon football. Max Taurus is where you can find us and do me a big favor and share the Ducks dish podcast with your friends, with your family, with other duck fans. It's been a blast being back on the Ducks dish podcast. Shout out to everybody that I saw in Eugene over the weekend. Um, but yeah, now it's time to get to work trying to contact some of these visitors and get some interviews 
So make sure you stay tuned into DucksDigest.com for the latest Oregon football recruiting content, stories, interviews, analysis, all that good stuff. But until next time, that'll do it. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.